<coughs> John chapter 10, verse number 10. I mentioned Ash Wednesday a little while ago, and, and I don't know if you know what it is or not. It's a tradition that's largely handed down from the Catholic Church and was handed down into some of the Protestant, a few of the Protestant denominations, especially Lutherans. And uh, I don't think it's ever been a big hit with Baptists. I, I, it's not from Baptist roots anyway. And, and uh, when they, you see them on TV on uh, Ash Wednesday, today's Ash Wednesday, and it's the beginning of Lent season and leading up to Easter. And, and so the ashes, they, they have the, the holy ashes that have been blessed, I guess, by the priest, made out of ashes from last year's burning of the palm branches uh, for the... Uh, symbolizing the entry of Jesus into uh, Jerusalem just before his Passion Week. And so they take those ashes, that's holy ashes, that's been uh, wet, wetted with holy water and make a cross on their forehead and they wear it all day. I, I don't know exactly. In the Old Testament, there were times when... Uh, people would repent in sackcloth and ashes. And so in that sense, you know, the ashes does have some symbolism. But I think this was a, a totally made-up tradition because it's not mentioned in the New Testament at all and nor in this specific way even in the Old Testament. And so I guess I'm not much in favor of it because one reason, not, not just because it's not doesn't seem to be real biblical to me, but... I'm also not in favor of it much, and you may have some relatives that do this, and that, that's their, that's their uh, business if they do it, but I wouldn't mock them or make fun of them personally and face-to-face, but I can mock them here, so I don't think anybody got one on their head in here, <clears throat> and so uh, I think one of the reasons I'm not uh, for Baptists uh, delving into that tradition is because uh, Jesus did make the statement to beware of the scribes and Pharisees that walk about in long robes and uh, making long public prayers and trying to, when, they're, when they fast, uh, they look like they're all disfigured in their facial features and, and trying to draw attention to themselves. And so, huh? Yeah, and so they want you to know they're fast. Man, I'm fasting. Don't, don't y'all see how spiritual I am? Man, look at me. I'm really suffering for Jesus. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think our spirituality, we ought to be spiritual, but I don't think it's meant to be something that we put on like a long Pharisee's robe and make long prayers on the street corners to try to get people to notice how spiritual we are. So, and most of those people that wear those on TV, at least, I don't know in real life, but uh, it seems like most of those uh, people that do it on TV, you see them a, a, a little while later on another day when the ashes are not on the forehead. And I don't think the prayer and fasting and repentance worked for them. You know? So anyway, that's free. It didn't cost you anything. That don't come off of the, that don't come off the time for the sermon either. <clears throat> In John chapter 10, verse number 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have li- life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, who's, who's on the sheep, whose on the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The devil is out to destroy believers. That's his job. That's what he wants to do. And uh, one of the ways that the the uh, wolf destroys the lives of the sheep, one of the ways, there's many ways, but one of the ways is he can do it through finances. We see, we read in Proverbs about how greed can be the downfall of a man or a woman, that, that greed enters in. The love of money is the root of all evil in the New Testament. And so we see that money can be a great evil. And if the devil can use money to get us to fall and be distracted from the Lord, he's done the job that he meant to do. And so... As sheep of the shepherd, we want to see what he has for us in finances. Let's pray, and then we'll get started in the message. Father, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. I pray that you'd help us to say the things that would be helpful and to forget the things that would not. Bless us, fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many people uh, go into debt because 
It gives them a liberated feeling because they got what they wanted, you know. If you can't afford it and you go out and buy it on the credit, something you really desired, you really wanted. And so you had that desire for it and you felt chained and in bondage. But then when you went and bought the thing, even though you bought it on the credit, you feel liberated because now I've got that thing I wanted. But that is not freedom. Uh, debt doesn't give us freedom. And that's the first blank on your sheet. Debt doesn't give us freedom. It takes away our freedom. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. People in debt are in bondage to the creditors. If you don't believe it, just try missing a car payment or a house payment, and you'll find out that they're pretty much in charge of you. You don't make the car payment. You know, after a couple of times, they, uh, they just come and get the car. They're in charge. And so we're in bondage. The more credit we have, the more debt we go into, the more bondage we bring on ourselves. And so last week we covered the first of five, what we call Ten Commandments of Getting Out of Debt. Now these are not, these are not the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Uh, these are just some that are based on biblical principles for the sake of making a neat outline. But these commandments, I believe, will work because of the fact that they're based on biblical principles. Last week, we said, number one, thou shalt determine where thy money is going. Number two, thou shalt devise a plan to pay it back. Number three, thou shalt not presume on future earnings. Number four, thou shalt destroy all credit cards. Number five, thou shalt sell all non-essential assets. Is, uh, Brother Dustin, would you go back and see if Joey's able to come in here for maybe five minutes um, if, he, if, he, if he's in the middle of something, tell him it's okay. We'll get him at the end of the service. But if he can come right now, it'd be helpful. Thou shalt sell all non-essential assets. That means if we've got things <laughs> that we could do without, and we're in debt. See, all of this is hinging on being in debt and trying to get out. Now, if you're already on the level with Elon Musk, you can ignore a lot of this stuff. You know, It won't matter. You can buy anything you want. Uh, if you've got Donald Trump's money, or at least the money he used to have, <laughs> I don't know how much he's got now. They're, they're suing him about, about every month. <laughs> but if you, if you had financial success already, come on up, Brother Joey. Uh, I was just covering that last point from last week. Uh, the fifth commandment was, Thou shalt sell all non-essential assets. Can you take about five minutes and tell the folks what you did about selling your non-essential assets to get out of debt? Yeah, this is the painful one. <laughs> My addictions to guns. Yeah, so in order to get out of debt, that was one of the things we did. Is we looked around, we're like, what do we have this worth money that we can get out of debt? And apparently makeup's only worth a lot when you're buying it, not when you're trying to sell it. So <laughs> it, it was the guns, in all seriousness. I mean, that's yeah, that's that was my reaction too. I sold the mass majority. I mean, I kept enough to defend myself. And by that, I meant I had a revolver, 22 revolver, and a 12-gauge. I went from, oh, wait, I ain't going to say what the amount of guns was um, since this is live stream. But I went from a large quantity of guns I collected. I collected a lot of World War II guns. I had um, ARs, I had AKs, it's just a lot of fun stuff. Um, a lot of British 303s, wow. um, K98 Mausers, bayonets, I mean everything. And you ladies understand and, what you're saying, right? Yeah, the you guys do. They're looking at me like, you sold all this? 30 caliber carbines from, stamped with General Motors on them, 22 nylons, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I had a lot of guns. And that's what we did is we, um, we started selling them. And um, I had a Remington 700 XCR with a very nice scope that had 25 magnification. This gun was, um, I had $1,500 just in the barrel. I mean, this gun was nice. It was the gun where you go out there 800 yards and you're putting them in like that. Just insane. It wasn't even fun to shoot. Like, if you've seen it, you're going to hit it. I mean, that's all it was. Yeah, and um, 
keep feeling, you get that ghost feeling. I feel a camera vibrating there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, we went through and we sold all the guns. And then anything that, you know, I sold a lot of tools as well. I had a lot of woodworking tools, stuff like that. We went through, we just started selling everything. And I mean, like I said, when we started doing this, we were budgeting $50 a week for food for a family of five. Yeah, that's eating beans and rice, rice and beans and rice and rice. Um, and, it, and it was possible. We ate good. I mean, I needed to lose weight anyways, and I did, you know. It was healthy, so. But, yeah, we went through, and like I said, we sold everything, but I didn't enjoy it. I'm not going to stand up here and say, oh, man, this was fun. I was going up there, and I'm like, oh, you're, you're buying my... A Remington 700? Yeah, oh, this is, no, it wasn't great. But we went from paying um, about 800 or more dollars a week just in bills. That's a lot of money. That was just personal bills. That was not business. That was personal. Um, if we wouldn't have done that, if we wouldn't listen to God about paying off debt and getting to where we are now, I would not have been able to take the pay cut that I did to do the job that I have now. Amen. Um, and the trade-off is I, I get to train with guns now. Um, they, yeah, they, they, they give me some nice guns, I'm just going to say. They, yeah. And all that, all that shooting and everything paid off. We were at the range calling for rifles, and they were like, um... How many hours you had? Eh, a little bit. A little experience with the rifle. But, I mean, it did pay off. Because there's no way. That was, us doing that was God answering a prayer years before I ever prayed it. Because, I mean, I went from owning my own business to making $18.18 .18 an hour with a family of five, one income. Wow. Yeah. There's some people at the PD that's like, they found out, they're like, oh, your wife, where she works, she don't. Oh, you really do believe in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but no, like the advice he's been talking about and how paying off debt and not being a slave to debt, it, it's good, solid advice. I know it's stuff that people never want to hear. You don't want to hear that you're lousy with finances or you need to do yeah. this, that, and the other thing. Trust me, I know. The first time I heard it, I thought, ah, oh, he's crazy. And then we got thinking about it and... I mean, my health, that's even like depression in my heart. You know, since I took this job and took a pay cut, I haven't had any issues with my heart. Wow. I mean, and as for depression, I have seen some bad stuff, but it hasn't affected me. I haven't been depressed. I haven't been upset. I haven't. You know, I, I'm actually enjoying life. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but it's it's going to be fun. I don't know, you know. I get to work around a bunch of interesting people. And, um... Tell, tell them how long, if you, if, you, if you got a time frame, how long it took you to, the time you started selling everything off. That you didn't need until you were out of debt. It took us roughly, it was over 18 months or two years is what it wound up taking. Wow. And, and what's sad is the, um, the number that I won't forget is uh, the baby step one that gets $1,000, it took me 65 days. Yeah. 65 days. I make less money now and it won't take me 65 days to get $1,000 step back. But yeah, I mean, we paid off about 40 thousand dollars worth of debt and that's the thing is you got to sit down and you got to say all right we're going to do this what we're going to do is we're going to take this is our grocery money we literally did the envelope i mean we took an envelope with fifty dollars so if it was like fifty one dollars something went back and then we got change and that change will go into next week's or it will go towards a debt but either way we didn't break the the budget on that and you start, you, you, you just pay that first thing off and then you start actually watching it snowball and you're like, this is amazing. And then you start coming up, we had a little thing where we colored in every 
so much and when we get that full that would mean oh, that's paid off I mean we kept track we made it interesting we were broke we didn't have entertainment people <laughs> but yeah it was that that was a hard thing to do I mean that the guns were an addiction I do admit that 100% because when I bought the Remington 700 I was like yeah this is and then that MRAD I wanted that and that was about four thousand dollars I think but you can hit a mile and a half with this I mean that, that that was seriously the mentality every time I bought something I was like yeah this is going to be and you know how it is you're looking at me you know exactly how it is Amen. but yeah it's it is the information you're getting is worth trying it is worth doing and if you actually take it you know you don't know what the future holds I didn't if you'd have told me when I started that that yeah in uh, 2023, you were going to quit your, your business and you were going to be a, go and be a cop, I'd have never believed you because I would never been able, we would not be able to afford it. I mean, it's just the way it is. But if you take the advice, you know, it does work. And it works even if you have one person working. Like I said, just, we've always just had one income. Yeah, five people on $50 worth of food. And then I'm going to tell you another thing. You start and you, you commit and you say you're going to do this, you're going to get humbled really quick. You would be amazed the different people that would call up and be like, hey, I left something for you. And you just go up to the church and pick it up. You go up to the church and you see all these bags. You're like, well, what'd you, what'd you leave? I, yeah, and they bought us groceries. And then, you know, you take it and then you try to bless other people later on. Yeah. But do take the advice. Don't let it just go through one ear and out the other. And if you have to sell something, it, you're going to be better off. I'm better off now. I've got a really, well, it's not my car right now, but <clears throat> i got a really nice gun now that, um, yeah, I got for my job. And i got a really nice one on my side, too, that was better than the last one I had. So. Amen. Yeah. I think he's. Uh, I think he's happy doing what he's doing now. Um, he cried a long time after he lost the guns, but he got over it. He's not crying over making those monthly payments now. Amen. All right. So we went through the five reviewing of the five ones we covered last week. Tonight we do the last five of the Ten Commandments of getting out of debt. Number six, thou shalt not continually raise thy standard of living. Thou shalt not continually raise thy standard of living. We think we'll just keep being able to buy more and more, own more and more, spend more and more. And uh, as long as we do that, we're not gaining anything. Now, you do have a free will. Now, you, you understand that. The preacher and nobody else in the church is trying to say, you've got to do this or else. <laughs> no, it's totally your choice. And like I said earlier, if you're already up there with Elon Musk or some of those guys, don't worry about it. You're doing good already. Uh, you do have a free will. But if you're trying to get out of debt, some of these principles will help you. And I believe we will see some of those tonight. And just mention this by way of passing. Sometimes younger people will look at older people and see they've got a nice house. They've got a nice vehicle. And they're doing really well. I should be able to do as good as them. Well, yeah, when you get on down the road that many years, you might. Uh, but when, when I was uh, 20 years old, I couldn't really honestly expect, shouldn't expect to be doing as good as somebody worked their whole life got in debt and maybe out of debt and now they're on a pension or something and they're doing really well. They've learned how to handle their money. So I'm just saying for the sake of young people, don't look at somebody that's already gone a long ways in life and they've accumulated some things and you look at them and say, well, well it's not fair that I don't have what they've got. See, that's, that's what's destroying America is a lot of times people think they ought to have the, the outcome ought to be the same for everybody. Well, that's communism is what that is. And uh, you got to pay the price. And so if you stay in this life long enough and practice good financial uh, decisions, then 
probably later down the line, you'll have a lot more than you've got now. But until we get out of debt, I think the commandment is true. We can't be continually raising our standard of living. There are two ways to get out of debt. You can make more money or have fewer wants. Make more money or have fewer wants. There's no really any, not really any middle ground. <laughs> um, we think sometimes if I just made more money, everything would be okay. But if our habits are still the old habits that we used when we didn't make much money, if we're using those same old habits when we do make a lot of money, we'll blow it just like we did before. And so we've got to change the habits. Dave Ramsey is always saying it's, it's a matter of behavior, teaching yourself to behave uh, in a financially, scripturally responsible manner. Most of us make more money a little bit more each year. But if we get that extra money in and just spend it by raising our standard of living, what good did the raise do us? Not really anything. Uh, Proverbs 21.20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. A foolish man spendeth it up. I mean, it's like when some people get their tax refund at the, at the first of the year, man, they've got a pocket full of money, and they say, man, let's, honey, let's go blow it on the town. And they go out and we're going to buy this and that and the other thing because that's all free money. No, you earned it last year. The government just held it for you and uh, without paying you any interest too, by the way. That's why you ought not to have all those deductions on your W-4 form. Uh, just get all of it you can without going in, you know, where you got to pay up a bunch at the end of the year. But I wouldn't uh, have them to hold a lot out looking forward to getting that big tax refund at the end of the year because you needed that to live on during the year. The foolish man spendeth it up. Most of us make a lot more money than we dreamed we would in the past, and yet we try to continually raise our standard of living, and so it doesn't seem like we moved up any at all. Uh, as a 12-year-old, I, I remember we lived up in Izzard County, and I rode in the back of an old Chevy pickup truck all the way from Mount Pleasant all the way down to Velvet Ridge. That's back when they had strawberries, patches everywhere. Rode in the back of a pickup truck with about four or five other boys my age. We were going to go make us a fortune in the strawberry patch. And so we got out there in the hot sun picking strawberries. And I think we got all oh, probably made two or three dollars by noon. And this working all morning long. We'd gather, we'd gather enough strawberries, take them up. You'd get paid maybe, I don't know if it's even a nickel a quart, maybe something like that. And so I'd make about $3 by noon. And then there was a little grocery store, a little mom and pop grocery store out there. It's gone a long time ago. But we'd go to the mom and pop grocery store and buy our lunch. And by the time we got through buying extra sodas, chips, and a sandwich, and that stuff, and a candy bar to take with us, Guess what? <laughs> that three dollars was gone. So we worked all afternoon, and we were too tired to work very hard by then, because twelve-year-old boys don't want to work as hard as as uh, a, a grown man would. <clears throat> and so we'd we'd make a couple dollars in the afternoon, go back home after a whole day's work, riding the back of the pickup truck all the way back to Izzard County, and have maybe two bucks in our pocket. And so our standard of living wasn't very high, but. Thank goodness for mom and dad. <laughs> they, they had something on the table when I got home. When I was uh, 16, I, I got a job at um, working for bricklayers and block layers, and it paid a minimum wage then was $1.40. This was in 1965, six, long in there. Working, pushing a wheelbarrow full of mud, cement, mortar, and then sometimes a whole uh, wheelbarrow full of bricks or concrete blocks. And it's like I'm a little 16-year-old. My knees are trembling trying to push that thing. But I did it all day long for forty an hour. And so wages have gone up. I got a job as a concrete finisher years later up in Missouri working in the union and uh, as a cement finisher. Got a job finishing concrete for $7, $7 an hour. And I thought to myself, Nobody's worth $7 an hour. This union stuff is crazy. Nobody deserves $7 an hour. And I worked 
and made uh, good money. That would be like getting 25 or $30 an hour now. And so the, the standard of living, though, kind of grew as I made a little more money. And guess what? I was still broke. <laughs> still broke. Well, I have a different philosophy now. And I hope you do, too. We wear more expensive clothing in our society than probably we need to, trying to impress others. I mean, you've got to have the certain name brand or, or tab or whatever identifies it as being expensive. And, and if you haven't got that, you're not cool. You know, you just got to be cool. When I was in high school, they, they had the shirts had, dress shirts had a loop on the back, right, right in the center between your shoulder blades. And we called it a fruit loop. They, they don't make those anymore, do they? What was the purpose of that? Was that to hang it up with or what? There's just, just a, little, a little loop about that. Huh? Is what? Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. At, at high school, we'd, we'd slip up behind somebody. It was really cool. They had a nice shirt, and so we could, we could kind of bring them down, humble them a little bit, reach up and grab that fruit loop and yank it off, you know, and show them they're not so hot after all. But, but you know... We had Levi's jeans. They had real Levi's jeans back then, and we knew how to turn those cuffs up and everything. And so there were, were styles that we had to live up to to be cool. Well, people blew a lot of money trying to be cool, and people still do it even more than ever before. Making more money usually doesn't get people out of debt. It usually lures us into more debt. Many people think that wealth brings satisfaction, significance, and security, but it doesn't. You know, nobody else really cares how much you make. People don't lay awake at night and say, boy, that old Connor, he's really making good money. I admire him. He's making good money. I never have laid awake all night thinking about how much money Connor makes. In fact, I don't ever lay awake at night thinking about Connor at all. <laughs> well, we, we think if... If we've got a really nice car, really nice suit of clothes, or a really nice house, somehow people are going to think that we're significant. There's prestige there. But nobody really cares. They really don't. As our incomes go up, so do our expenses and our worries. And when we get more money, we lay awake trying to worry about how to take care of it, how to protect it, or how to spend it, or how to invest it, or how to keep uh, one of our relatives from getting it from us. We're always worried about more money as we make more money. One study showed that as income goes up, so does insomnia. People stay awake more. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. And we, we addressed this when we are going through the, the book of Ecclesiastes a while back. We have to first learn to be satisfied where we are or we're not going to be satisfied when we get further down the road. If I'm poor today and satisfied, then if I make more money down the road, I'll have more money and be satisfied. But if I make not much money and I think that the more money is going to be the thing that makes me satisfied, when I get down here with more money, I'm going to discover I'm still not satisfied. Need a little bit more. Was Andrew Carnegie, I think, somebody asked how much, or one of the, one of the millionaires uh, <laughs> of the past said, how much, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Who said that? Rockefeller. Rockefeller. I knew it was one of my cousins. <laughs> you know, I, I keep thinking I'll have a rich uncle to die and leave me some money. All my uncles are dead and all my aunts are dead. My grandparents are dead. Parents are dead. Nobody left me any money, man. I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to earn it myself. It just seems like the way it works out. But if we're not happy where we are, we won't be happy with making more. So we just have to get over it. We're just always looking for the non-existent. Number seven, thou shalt pray before you pay. Thou shalt pray before you pay. You going to buy that new car? <laughs> buy that expensive vehicle or boat? Better pay, pray, pray about it first. Uh, if the salesman's pushing you, saying, boy, this deal only lasts for right now. If you walk away, it won't be good tomorrow. Walk away. <laughs> walk away. 
he's a, he's a numbskull, <laughs> and he's pulling the oldest trick in the book that everybody knows about. I usually tell him, look, I, I'm going to go home and pray. My wife and I will talk about this, and we'll pray, and then if we decide to do this, we'll let you know tomorrow. He said, but what if we sell it? Go ahead and sell it. Make your money off of it. We'll find another one. It's not like automobile manufacturers are shut down. You know, They're still making the things. <laughs> Instead of our living our lives based on Christ, many Christians live their life based on credit. We use our little credit cards instead of asking God and waiting on Him to lead us in the right direction and give us wisdom. Every time we use our credit cards, we are short-circuiting God in our lives. You say, well, how's that? Well, He promised to provide for us, didn't He? He promised to provide. Give no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take care of itself. Um, God wants to provide for us. And if we, if we don't pray about it, we just say, there's something I want. I've got the money. I'm going to buy it. We didn't pray about it. We can give God a chance to supply our need. We're trying to take care of things ourselves. We need to be dependent on Him. And when we use the credit card without even praying, then we're just short-circuiting God's ability to take care of our needs. We need to trust Him. It's called faith, right? In James 4, 2, he says, You lust and you have not, you kill and desire and to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and yet you have not because ye ask not. Oh, the prayer. We get out of the habit of praying, I think. And the credit cards and the credit limits and loans give us just another way to get what we want without praying. I think praying is probably a little wiser than using the credit card, don't you? Well, John 16, 24 says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. I think if we pray and get our prayer answered, I think we're going to be happier than we would have if we just went out and bought whatever we wanted with a credit card. The joy comes from saying, Hey, God answered my prayer. Think of that. How about that? There's some things we ought to ask ourselves when we go to buy something and and no matter how maybe maybe you're not in debt maybe you've done pretty good maybe you're just kind of skimming along even not made it to Elon Musk level yet but you're just kind of breaking even at least you don't owe a lot and you have to be careful or we can get back in the debt that we got out of and here's some questions we ought to ask ourselves before we purchase something is it a necessity well sometimes we buy things that's not a necessity but if we're if we're not doing well financially we ought to really ask ourselves first of all is it a necessity because we're we're bad to buy things that just look good you know that strike our fancy at the moment i've, I've seen things and you have to i've seen things before and i say man i'd like to have that and i look at it and think about it for a little while i think but why do I want it? I don't even need it. What would I do with it? A tool. I saw a tool a while back. And it was such a nice looking tool. It looked like it would be efficient. It would do such a pretty job. I thought, man, I ought to get that thing. And then suddenly it struck me. I wouldn't even use it. I wouldn't even use it. So why buy it? <laughs> you know, throwing money down the drain. So we ask ourselves, is it a necessity? Is it the best possible buy? Hey, don't just buy the first thing that is standing before you. And I say this about buying automobiles all the time. Don't just always fork over the money when they say this is the price. Uh, you know, you're going to buy an appliance or you're going to buy a car, you're going to buy a tool or whatever you're going to, if it's used. Or, now, if you go to a retail store, you're probably not going to be able to bargain with them much there. Uh, most of those are owned by big companies now. Used to in the little mom and pop stores, you could negotiate prices there. But now if you go to Lowe's, you know, the, the guy working in the aisle, he doesn't have any interest in the company. He's just making his weekly wage. So he, he doesn't have any power to negotiate. But if you're buying something from an individual or from a mom-and-pop store, you're buying something used, you can look around and see if there's a better deal and make an offer. I mean, you don't want to be a, 
a cheapskate and just try to lowball somebody and offer them a thousand dollars for a ten thousand dollar car if you know it's worth that much don't just make them mad but but if it's a ten thousand dollar car they want ten thousand for it it doesn't hurt to say you know I've got eighty five hundred that I can set aside out of my budget to buy this car if that would work for you you don't have to be hateful or mean or sound like a skin flint just you know I've got eighty five hundred I could invest in that was that something you could do well, they may or may not. They might say, well, no, I can't uh, take 8500 but I'll tell you what, I'd take 9200 Well, if you get it for 9200 isn't that a little better than giving 10000 <laughs> So use a little bit of negotiation. If they're not willing to negotiate, shop around and look and see. There might be something else out there. Is this the best buy? Number three, does it require expensive upkeep? <laughs> oh, we can invest a lot of money in things that takes a lot of upkeep. Number four, would I buy it if it were not on sale? I saw something not too long ago. It was on sale, and it was a good sale. And I thought, man, that thing is, that thing is worth the money. And I'm slobbering at the mouth. I, think, I ought to get that. I don't need it, though. Being on sale doesn't mean anything if you don't need it. If it's not something that you can actually use, would number five, where am I at? We should make, sh make sure our purchases are wise. That, that comes from God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Which giveth liberally and upbraideth not. Before we pay, praying causes us to carefully plan our spending. Our spending should be planned. Carefully plan our spending. This prevents the common deadly financial disease called impulse buying. <laughs> you know, when you go to the store, you go to uh, a retail place, they've got stuff out there. Did you ever notice at the grocery store, they put the candy bars and the pretty, uh, pretty little things that kids want and right up there by the cash register. So you're standing in line waiting to pay for your groceries and uh, the baby's going to reach out and grab that candy bar. <laughs> And those are the highest priced ones in the store. But they, they put it there because that's impulse buying. They put things there that you normally wouldn't even think of. You probably didn't have on your grocery list. Oh, can I say that you ought to put things on a grocery list? Uh, put it on a grocery list and put it on there when you're not hungry. <laughs> if you're hungry, you buy, you buy stuff you really shouldn't be eating. And so you make out a, a list and you buy what's on the list. But impulse buying is killing us. Going into debt is about as, as addictive as a drug or alcohol. Number eight, thou shalt buy with cash when possible. Now, used to, I used to say, and, and most of the financial advisors always said, buy everything cash. Well, there's, unfortunately, our society is going plastic, and there's some places you can't pay pay cash. Now, you can go somewhere else if you want to. If you choose to pay totally in cash, you probably can, at least for a while, till the Antichrist comes. <laughs> and so you can pay cash now uh, if you go to the right places. But there's a lot of places you may shop. If you shop on Amazon, you know, probably can't uh, wire your cash through the air like that. <laughs> and so you probably need some sort of a card, a debit card. But if you use a debit card instead of a credit card, that way you can't go beyond what's in the bank. It won't let you spend more than you've got. And so use cash when possible. Why do we... Why do we say that it's better to pay with cash? Because when you pull out the greenbacks and start counting them out, you feel the pain of the loss. If you're putting it on plastic, that's just such an easy transaction. Man, you don't feel the pain. It's easy to spend more than you meant to. Thou shalt buy with cash when possible. Uh, this habit should be formed especially for those who are trying to get out of debt. And again, you know, it's, it's, everything is not a hard, fast rule. Uh, there, there are exceptions. Like if a person's out of debt and they've worked hard all their life and they've accumulated some things and they will spend some of the money before they die, then I say have at it. You know, take a, an expensive vacation, go. But you don't do that when you're in debt. When you're in debt, you're trying to form a habit. Now, when you form those habits of watching your P's and Q's and watching those pennies go out, and those, well, they don't make pennies anymore. They don't make anything less than a $5 bill, do they now? You can't spend it. <laughs> uh, when you get in the habit 
of watching how you spend your money, cautious. It is a habit when you do get out of debt. It's probably a habit that's going to stick with you. Now, you may buy some more expensive things once you get out of debt, but you'll do it carefully, and it won't be just throwing the money down a rat hole. You'll have some habits formed trying to get out of debt because you felt the pain, the struggle of getting out of debt. So once you do get out of debt, then you're going to be more careful, even though you may spend more money and buy things that's not really a necessity at that point in life, but you have formed the habits that's going to protect you from being wasteful. Let me hasten on. Now back to the living on credit. Some people use uh, the excuse that their credit purchases by saying it's too dangerous to carry cash. Too dangerous to carry cash. Um, is there a possibility that if you carry cash in your wallet or in your purse that somebody could knock you on the head and steal it? Yeah. Yeah, it happens. Uh, not as much here as it does New York City and Chicago and San Francisco maybe, but, but it happens. But you know what's a bigger danger than having some cash in your pocket? The bigger danger is having that plastic in your pocket that you're going to overspend continually day after day. The chances are very small that you're going to get knocked on the head and have, have your cash stolen. It can happen, but it's not as likely. But the likelihood of you spending more than you should by spending it with a plastic credit card is a much greater threat, is much more dangerous. And so therefore carrying the cash is less dangerous than carrying the plastic. When I was in Washington in 1967, Worked in the orchards out there. First time in my life, I went out and Shorty Troxler got me a job out in a peach orchard, thinning peaches where you worked on the ladder all day, clipping off uh, little limbs out of a peach tree and pulling off some of the extra peaches, the little peaches that's about that big around. And so I'd never done it before. They showed me how. It seemed to be pretty easy. At the end of the first day, the owner of the orchard came out and paid us all in cash. He gave me a $20 bill. We worked 10 hours that day. And I made 20 bucks, most I'd ever made in my life. 20 bucks in a single day. I couldn't believe it. Man, I looked at that $20 bill and I thought, I could be rich pretty soon doing this. <laughs> well, when I got my money saved, saved up about 800 bucks to buy a car when I got back to Arkansas, everybody's warning me, don't carry the cash in your billfold. Something could happen to it. You lose it or somebody robbed you. So I bought traveler's checks. I guess they still do that, but traveler's checks, you buy them and, and with your cash. They don't do it anymore. It may be an outdated thing now, but you'd buy traveler's checks. Those traveler's checks were negotiable. You could spend them, uh, cash them, but then when you get home, you know, we're traveling 2,000 miles to get back from Washington to Arkansas, but then I'd take those traveler's checks. If they got stolen, you know, they were uh, reimbursed to you. So when I got home, I cashed in my $800 worth of traveler's checks and got my cash back. Well, there's some wisdom in carrying the cash. And by the way, do credit cards ever get stolen? <laughs> yeah. So you see, the argument that carrying cash is too dangerous probably doesn't really hold up too well. It's a, buying with cash requires discipline. And in Proverbs 13, 18, it says, poverty and, poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. It's worth a try. Commandment number nine, thou shalt get control of thy spending. Get control of it. Control of the spending. Yes? I missed one, didn't I? Uh, I believe it was 34. I don't see it in my notes now. I, don't. I think it's 34%. I believe, I believe I'm accurate in that. Get control of your spending. Most Americans are out of control on their spending. I saw it just on the news two or three days ago. Credit card debt has soared in the past year to the highest it's ever been and going higher and higher trillions of dollars in credit card debt 
and average family is up to here, credit card debt. And it's because their spending's out of control. We have to get control of our spending. You know, it's, some people are so out of control in their spending, they don't even realize it, and they keep on doing it, and don't even know they're out of control. It's kind of like the, uh, you probably heard the story about the, the air, jet airliner, men are sailing through the air, and the captain comes on the intercom and tells the passengers, I've got bad news and good news. He said, the bad news is our GPS has quit functioning, and we don't know where we are. He said, but the good news is we've got a tailwind and we're making excellent time. I think a lot of people who are in debt are that way. They're out of control, don't know where they're going, but boy, they're making excellent time. We're blowing the bucks. <laughs> That's the way it works. Uh, such, a, such a plan as getting your spending under control is usually called a budget. Uh, I guess we could call it a get-out-of-debt plan. Uh, I never did like the word budget. I mean, it's just... It's kind of like talking about something that's really nasty. <laughs> I mean, budget. That means I've got to control my spending if I've got a budget. Yeah. And it's kind of like Brother Joey said when he's talking about selling off his guns. He was in love with those guns. It sounds like he had, must have had thousands of dollars worth of them. And he said when he was selling them, it didn't feel good. <laughs> he was selling them, but he wasn't enjoying it. But he enjoys being out of debt now. He got control. And... If we stick to a budget, sell everything we don't need that's not necessary, get out of debt, we'll be happier following that budget than we are struggling in debt. Um, I know we've got computer programs now, apps on your phone and stuff that you can keep up with your finances, and those are good. But I'll tell you, what Joey mentioned a few minutes ago, I still think it's worth recommending. For somebody that's first going on a budget, and trying to get their spending under control is using that envelope system. You get you a cardboard box or a plastic dish pan or something, and you get some uh, just regular old uh, business size envelopes. And right on the front of it, utilities. On the other one, gasoline. On another one, insurance. On another one, rent. And you put those in order in your box, cardboard box or anything. And when you get your, if you're really wanting to get out of debt, you just cash your check at the end of the week or whenever you get paid. Cash your check, get the greenbacks. Divide them up into those envelopes and you just say that money's already spent. I owe it. It's not mine. I can't go and buy a hot dog. I can't buy a hamburger with it. I can't buy nothing with it. It's already spent. The car payment is in the envelope and you don't touch it. You don't borrow out of it. You don't consider going out to eat supper and then paying it back because you won't. <laughs> and so you've got those envelopes, and then after four weeks of saving those dollar bills and greenbacks in those envelopes, then when it comes time to make your payment, then you take the cash and make the payment, and it's there. And if there's anything left over that you didn't have to put in the envelopes, that's money you can spend, but you need to uh, not just blow it, but consider having an emergency fund too. Joey said it took him... Uh, 60 some odd days to save up the thousand dollar emergency fund because things can go haywire you got an, a sudden expense water heater goes out, transmission goes out on your car uh, plumbing bursts in your house got to buy an appliance if you got that thousand dollars that's not that doesn't mean that thousand dollars is going to be good forever but that's the immediate thing you want to have is set aside a thousand dollars for emergencies and it's just for emergencies only it's not for anything else. And then once you start getting out of debt, then you up that to 2000 And once you get completely out of debt, then you up it to 10000 And you've got 10000 bucks in an emergency fund. And then you can take care of expenses as they pop up, un unforeseen expenses. Uh, the first principle we need to be aware of in planning and our spending, uh, our spending is yearnings that will always exceed our earnings. <laughs> our yearnings will always exceed our earnings. We'll always want more than we make. If a person is married, be sure to carry out your budget planning on a mutual basis. It has to be a mutual decision to be effective. 
uh, husband and wife got to be on the same page of the book or it's not going to work. <laughs> Just not going to work. You got to both agree on it and take some input. You know, you don't want to be iron fisted on it. Uh, be a little give and take when you're talking about it, but work it out. Because if, if there's not something there like in your envelope system, if you don't have one envelope, for just say for fun or entertainment or something like that. If you don't have a little bit in it, if there's money there. Now you can't put money in it if it's not there. You don't steal all your car payment and put it in there. But if you've got money left over when you're putting your cash in those envelopes, put some in the envelope marked for fun or vacation or entertainment. Because everybody needs a little bit of distraction once in a while. And if there's not if there's not a little bit of fun in life, you'll give up on it and you'll quit. So Save a little bit back. Make sure you got the emergency fund, the envelopes where the payments go. But if there's some money left over, put it in an envelope just for spending money. Go out and buy your wife a, a bouquet of flowers for Valentine's Day or a bouquet of pickles like Aaron bought Erica today. A bouquet of pickles. Have you ever heard of such a nutty thing? <laughs> she loves pickles. <laughs> <laughs> Still nutty. Yeah. Old Harrison's grabbing, he's showing those to his wife, and old Harrison's reaching out trying to get him a pickle, you know, off their own these sticks, uh, skewer sticks sticking up out of a vase. Harrison's trying to capitalize on those uh, pickles. <laughs> Amos 3 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, that's why the husband and wife need to agree on the budget so you can both say, We're going in this direction and we're going together. Number 10. And finally, thou shalt give 10% back to God. This is called tithing. We give 10% back to God and we keep 90% of what he give us. Hey, getting to keep 90% of everything that God owns is a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. um, generosity is important to me. I think generosity is important to God. God is a giver. God means for his children to live out being made in his image. He means for us to be generous. So while we're planning a budget, we've got to remember we need to give back to God and giving 10% called tithing is just a place, for example, to start. I realize it was an Old Testament uh, method of Saints of God in the Old Testament giving. It was given before, they were doing it before the law. They did it during the law. And, and uh, Jesus suggested it even when he was walking on the face of the earth during his earthly ministry. <laughs> Some objected to tithing because it's, they don't find a New Testament command for it. I see a principle, a biblical principle of tithing. And it's a good place to start. My wife and I decided a long time ago uh, to tithe. This day we got saved. She was tithing before I got saved. Uh, she had she was a beautician and she was uh, making a little money uh, doing hair and she she was tithing. And I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> I, think I probably didn't care. Uh, but she wasn't tithing off of my income. But when I got saved, I immediately started tithing because I thought this is the thing I ought to do. And so I've been tithing now for nearly half a century and it's worked out okay. After nearly 50 years, God hadn't let me starve to death, and I'm not underweight. <laughs> I, I, I'm making it okay. In fact, several years ago, we decided to give more. We give to Faith Promise Missions. We give to regular, we give in the building fund uh, to try to get this building and property paid off. And uh, when, we get our, when we get our giving statement at the end of the year from the church, our giving is usually over 20% to the church besides anything that we gave to somebody as an individual. See, I believe it all, most of our giving ought to go through the church. If we're giving to God, it ought to go through the church, but that's not to mean that we can't give to somebody over here that's in need. Somebody has a special need, we can give it to them personally, but our missions giving, our general fund giving at the church, it keeps the church afloat, and that's just a practical part of it. Uh, I don't see a command in the New Testament to tell me not to tithe, and so I don't see anything anti-biblical about it. I, uh, I want to do it. I've been doing it all my life. I don't intend to quit. I see it as a pattern in the Scripture, and uh, I just 
I think it pleases God, and uh, it keeps our local church going. I mean, how would our how would our church pay its bills if people didn't give and give generously? Um, it's just it's just to my way of thinking, it's the way it ought to be. And uh, if I was a skin flint, I'd probably find a way not to tithe. But I I don't want to be a skin flint. I want to be generous. Uh, tithing allows you to allows God to bless our finances, but we can't tithe simply to get a payback from God. You know, I've heard it unscripturally preached that if you'll give to faith promise, God will give you back above and beyond what you got. If you'll tithe, God will meet all of your all of your financial needs above and beyond what you gave in a tithe. I don't think it always works that way. Uh, there's been times when when uh, we've gave, for instance, to Faith Promise and, and God didn't rain any bills down out of the sky for us. It's called Faith Promise because we give it in faith believing God's going to provide for us. But it might be in some way other than financial. It might be that somebody gives us a gift. Like Joey said, people were giving him groceries. They knew he was trying to get out of debt. And, and some good-natured, good generous people were were helping them out with some groceries. Not that they had to. They were just generous and wanted to help. And thank God for generosity. But we ought not to do it thinking, well, if I, if I tithe, God better give me back what I paid. If I give in faith promise, God better give me back what I've invested. <laughs> no, it might, he might pay you back when you get to heaven. And that's okay. It's God's money anyway. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said, Every man according, uh, talking about giving, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And so when we give, it can bring joy to our heart. Some people just have the natural, I shouldn't say natural, the spiritual gift of giving. Some people just love to give. My wife is a giver. I have to watch her. She'll give uh, everything away in my closet and all of my guns, my car, my house. I'll come home and there'll be nothing left but bare ground. It'll be gone. She's a giver. She loves to, She buys stuff for the church all the time. Paul tries to reimburse her, but she'll just ignore him. Well, get used to it, Brother Paul. That's the way she does me. <laughs> she, she just loves to give. And God seems to bless giving, don't you think? I believe God blesses being generous and giving, not wasteful. Now, when if some homeless person comes up to me and, and they've been out on the street corner and I see them raking in the 20s and the 50s and the 100s and got their pockets stuffed full and they come up and hit me up for money, I may not give them any because I think they ought to get a job and work just like you do. Uh, if they're not, now, if people are not able to work, I think we ought to try to help them if they're not able. But if if somebody's able to work, they just need to get a job. And if somebody's hungry, I tend not to want to give them cash. I think that can be very wasteful. If somebody's hungry, I'll take them to the Sonic or to the Burger King or something, get them a, get them a meal. But I don't want to hand them cash because you know what a lot of them will do with it. They'll go buy another bottle or buy some pills or drugs of some kind. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Seems like God blesses giving. Every farmer knows that we not only reap what we sow, but we also reap more than we sow. That's how farmers make a profit. They sow a certain number of seeds and they grow up. If you plant uh, 10 seeds of corn, 10 stalks of corn, you're going to get more than 10 ears of corn and each ear of corn is going to have a bunch of grains of corn on it. And so you reap more than you sow. And every bushel of wheat that we plant, we can expect more than 30 bushels in return. Now that's pretty good payoff. You may say, well this just doesn't sound right. Uh, give my money away in order to get out of debt. Uh, yeah, it's called faith in the Bible. Faith. Uh, I think if we, when we're trying to get out of debt, if we say, all right, I'm not giving anybody anything. I'm not giving anything to the church. I'm not helping anybody in need. I'm not, 
I can't be generous right now. I've got to wait till I get out of debt. I think you have to be generous in your living even if you're in debt. It forms one of those habits. Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your last blank, I think it's your last blank. It takes time and discipline to get out of debt. It takes time and discipline to get out of debt. Some people start on it. They embark on this journey of trying to get out of debt. and say, man, it's just, it hurts too much. <laughs> it's too painful. And they give up. It's going to take time. I mean, you got to do it. You got to do it the way you got in debt. How'd you get in debt? Well, every month, getting a little deeper in debt, a little month, a little more this month, a little more that month. That's how I got in debt. Well, guess how you're going to get out? A little this month, a little that month, a little next month, and you get out the same way you got in. And it takes some time. I thought Joey's testimony was great that he, he estimated 18 to 24 months when he started, he was out of debt. And so I think that's a pretty worthwhile thing. But now it takes some patience and some faith to endure those 18 to 24 months if your scenario happened to be the same as his. But that's the way we get out. Jesus talked about the straight gate, the wide gate, the narrow gate. And uh, most of your friends, if you, go, if you go on this radical thing of trying to get out of debt, most of your friends are going to think you're a nut. They're going to think you're a nut. Joey told me that some of his friends just flat got mad at him because he was trying to get out of debt. And there's some that's going to think you're a nut. And there's some that's just going to not like you. Now part of that is... They don't understand it. Another part of it is you bring conviction to them. And it makes them feel bad because they're in the same ship you're in, but they see you trying to get out, and they want to pull you back down. It's kind of like, you know, our nature is we see a guy climbing the ladder of success. We want to grab up and grab him by the ankles and yank him back down to be on our level. Well, maybe if we let him alone, he'd get to the top and reach down and give us a hand and help us up. Well, let's, uh, let's apply that verse to this. The, the wide group is going to be in debt. The wide way is going to be in debt, whether it's financially or in sin. And the narrow way is going to be the Lord's way. Many there are in that wide way. Few there be at the straight gate, the narrow gate. Few there be that find it. And most people are not going to not going to find the way to get out of debt. Most Americans are in debt, and they're going to stay in debt. But we don't have to. It's kind of like, you know, it's the difference between being saved by, by grace and the free will to choose and that philosophy of Calvinism. Calvinism says, man, everything's locked, in, locked into order. Uh, everything's predestined. We couldn't change it if we wanted to. A lot of people apply Calvinism to their debt, uh, their, their personal debt. Think, well, it's all locked in. We can't ever get out. I had a preacher tell me one time, I said, I'm thinking about paying off my vehicle. He said, well, I wouldn't pay off my vehicle if I was you. I said, how come? I thought he'd be all in favor of me getting out of debt. He said, well, I wouldn't pay it off. I said, why? He said, well, you're, you're always going to be in debt for a vehicle anyway. Oh, well, that's odd advice. <laughs> I think he was wrong. He's a good man, but I think he's wrong about that. You don't have to always be in debt for a car or anything else. And so... Um, we get a lot of bad advice. Make a commitment to yourself and your spouse if that's applicable and to the Lord beginning today. And say, you know, I'm going to get out of debt. If I'm not in debt, I'm going to try to be wise, stay out of debt, and I'm going to try to be generous. See, I think all of this comes down to getting out of debt so I'm able to give more into the Lord's work. I'm able to help people more. And I want to be living to be giving. Living to be giving. I don't want to be locked into debt so I can't give. I can't help the Lord's work. I can't help other people. I want to be out of debt so I can live to give. Let's pray, pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you that you... Give us principles in the scripture that can help us to get out of debt and to be able to support your work, and to be able to be a blessing to other people, to be generous. And Lord, we can 
we can be more generous and more helpful if we're out of debt. I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see through eyes of wisdom how we can get out of debt and stay out of debt. I pray, Lord, for those who don't know Christ as Savior, they do have a debt, and that's one debt they cannot possibly pay. That's the debt of their sin. Or the Bible teaches that all are born sinners, all owe the sin debt, not only because we are born sinners, but because we have physically and mentally sinned ourselves. And Lord, we owe that sin debt, and we'll owe it for all eternity unless we allow Jesus to pay it for us. He did that on the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray that you'd help the lost ones tonight, those who are not Christians, to understand that Jesus loved them enough to die on the cross for them and that he would save them if they would put their trust in his finished work on the cross. I pray they'd be soul saved.